Well, we're going to talk about husbands this morning. If we write lessons on the godly men, part of the greatest thing of being a godly man is being a godly husband. And we don't have to think too hard to realize American men don't really know much about being a husband. And uh, because our culture has changed and dissolved, I don't think our culture has evolved any for any good. I think it's dissolving. And so we always have to go back to the Word of God and look at what the Scriptures say. And inevitably, being a young preacher, uh, people like to say, well, what do you know? You haven't been around a long time. And I say, I know the Bible. Why don't you if you've been around for so long? So I, even though I've been married probably less than anybody in here except for a handful of you whose marriages I perform myself, if it says it in the Word, let's just do it. And don't sit there and say, well, well, when you get 20 more years of marriage under your belt, you'll know, understand better. That's probably your problem. You've been not doing the Word for 24 years of marriage, and so you should listen to me. <laughs> well, I always have to do this kind of thing because everybody thinks they know more than the next guy. Well, when you've been married 100 years... Uh, hopefully I'll be in heaven then. I don't really want to be here that much longer. So let's just look at what the Word has to say and let's be changed by the Word. Because we don't care about culture. American marriages aren't the best. African marriages may not be the best. Asian marriages may not be the best. But the Bible is the best. So let's look at what these scriptures have to say about being godly husbands. And let's look at our curriculum here. Marriage is the first institution God initiated after the creation of man. So marriage is important. Of course, we know that marriage is under a tremendous assault. Right now, uh, gays want to marry each other. Uh, it probably Now we're seeing that polygamists want to be able to have equal rights. That's the newest thing. They want equal rights to be able to marry as many women as they want to and not go to jail for it. I guarantee you the next thing you will see will be wanting to marry animals. Watch it. Watch it. Already in Japan, they're marrying robots. No joke. These fembots. These, these, they look like, I mean, it's like out of a movie, but this guy's married to one. I'm not kidding. I'm not making this thing up. It's creepy. It's weird. It's devils. Uh, so's homosexuality. So's bestiality. So we understand this thing's important because it was the very first thing God did after creation. He made marriage. And it's been under attack ever since. It is God's idea and it is holy in His sight. As the husband, gentlemen, the success of your marriage rests in your hands and in the confession of your mouth. I've got a book uh, by a Christian psychologist named Gary Smalley called Loving Each Other for Better or for Best. I like that because the, the religious American wedding vow says for better or for worse. And in my opinion, there is no worse in marriage. It should only get better. And I think that's why we don't see marriages getting better is because folks get religious or they settle into a rut. But truthfully, I think my opinion, my belief, my faith, if both of you are serving Jesus Christ, husband and wife, and you're getting closer to Jesus Christ, he's going to be making you a better husband and a better wife. So your marriage ought to be getting better. But Dr. Gary Smalley, his book's called Loving Each Other for Better or for Best. He wrote this book. I think it's a, a tremendous work, and I've read it probably once and a half times. And there's some of it I still use and I look at from time to time. One of the things he said in this book, because he wrote it after having done doing 10,000 marriage coupling sessions. So he's counseled and helped over 10,000 couples. He said this, and this is just his opinion, but this was his observation being a Christian helping marriages. Not that he's a pastor or anything. But he said, if after five years of marriage, there is still contention and strife in the marriage, it is the husband's fault. That's what he said. And I believe him. Because we're supposed to husbands, we're supposed to love our wives as Christ loves the church. And it takes two to fight. 
It takes two to fight, and only by pride comes contention and strife. So that's not the Bible, not not what Dr. Smalley said, but I like it because he's basing it on 10,000 couples, helping over 10,000 couples. I would say you've probably learned a thing or two after having helped 10,000 married couples. So understand this, and I tell some of you guys this when we're in private help in your marriage. If you're still fighting after five years, husband, you're, you're to blame. Now, you might be married to a Jezebel, but you have, should have mastered something by now called prayer and love and changing things by the prayers of your mouth. The thing that you fight with, your mouth is the very thing you should be talking to God with, your mouth, except that it feels better and it's easier to fight and yell and scream than it does to pray and confess. And honey, I love you. I'm sorry. Let's get this better. So this thing, marriage, is a difficult thing. It's a beautiful thing, though, and it's worth fighting for. But if you're still fighting after five years, Dr. Smalley, not the Bible, but Dr. Smalley said it's the husband's fault because you ought to be praying and loving and, and doing your best according to the word. Your wife is the only human being with whom you have a covenant. Keep that in mind. You don't have a covenant with your business. You don't have a covenant with mommy. You don't have a covenant with daddy. You don't have a covenant with your buddy or your drinking buddy or your Xbox buddy. You have a covenant with your wife. We had to teach the wives this. You only have a covenant with your husband, not your children. Many marriages are pulled apart by their children because the wife sets her heart and her affections more on her children than she does her husband because with her children, it's just easier. Marriage takes work. Your wife is the only human being with whom you have a covenant. She is to take priority and preeminence in your life, gentlemen. Your wife, husbands, is to take priority and preeminence. She is a gift from God. And you're to take care of her. You're to know how she's doing. You're to to know her, her inward workings, what sets her off, what makes her feel good, what she loves, what she doesn't love. You're to know this. And quite honestly, I would say for those that would say, well, you only been married four years. Well, you've been married 20 years longer than me. How come you're not better at marriage than I am? Because <laughs> you just fell into the rut. And this is when I say you're just roommates, ships passing in the night. And you, you love each other, but you don't know what it is to love each other. As a husband, you should know your wife, just like Christ knows his church. And knows how to bless it, how to help it, how to take care of it, what it needs. You as a husband, you've got to know what your wife needs. You've got to know what your wife does not need. You've got to know what upsets your wife. You've got to know what your wife's insecurities are. And then don't push her buttons, but protect them and help her and secure her insecurities. That's what love does. It's not marriage is not just about being married and having sex. Marriage is a lot more than that. And just because you're married doesn't mean you're acting like a husband. You could just be roommates with sexual benefits. That's not marriage. They mastered that at the college 40 years ago, living together and having sexual benefits. But it didn't mean they were married. She's to take priority and preeminence in your life. Every other relationship except for God is secondary. Some of you men need to realize that includes your boss. Your boss is secondary. I would probably say your boss is tertiary. That means further on down the line. He's not even secondary. He's not even third place. He ought to be fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. Because your wife, then your children. And unfortunately, in America, we're so career-driven at times. Husbands count their success to their corporate ladder standing. And they'll sacrifice their children. And they'll sacrifice their wife. And they'll sacrifice their marriage for a career and for $5,000 more a year. That 5,000 a year is not going to be worth it when your kids grow up to be hellions 
and your, your wife is frustrated talking to another man on Facebook. That extra five grand a year for 10 years is not going to be worth it. Your wife is the best thing you got, man. Yeah, she's the best thing you've got. Nobody else would have you, man. <laughs> Nobody else would have you. No, <laughs> Nobody else would have you. Amen. What, you, you don't agree with that? You think you could go get anybody you want? Nobody else would have you, man. Unless, of course, your heart's still thinking, no, I could go get somebody else. Careful. That kind of heart voice will draw some weird stuff to you. You've got, if you're not convinced of it, you're backslid and need to get convinced of it. Nobody else would have you. Why would you want anybody else at this point? If your marriage is a mess, man, it's your fault. If your marriage is lacking, it's your fault. If your marriage is subpar, it's your fault. How come men are better at everything else but their marriage? How come American men excel at sports? They excel at intellectualism. They excel at stocks. They excel at everything but their marriage. This is where we're going to come down hard on you, men. The women had nine weeks of don't be a Jezebel and don't be a feminist. Now we're going to nail you men because your wife needs a husband. Your wife needs a man that loves her and will pray for her and hold her hand and, and buy her flowers and whatever it is she wants. Every wife is different. But we just got men thinking, well, I'm, I'm just here and that's good enough. Your wife does not need a warm body. She needs a husband who will love her and take care of her and pray for her and encourage her and tell her how pretty she is and how much she's lovely and how much she's needed. This will go a long way to helping your marriage. If some of you men would put one-tenth the effort in your marriage that you do your career, your marriage would be so much better. And we've just gotten these things out of alignment. And we need to bring it back. Really, we've got to be praying, Lord, help me balance everything. My job, my career, my wife, my children. God is able to make you balance all this. But your wife needs a husband, ASAP. And I'm frustrated with some of the men in our church who give their boss more than they give their wife. And they give their boss more than they give their children. And they give their boss or their job or their career or their hobby or their sport more than they give the things that really do matter. Because the job and the career is about, you know, number 17 on the list. Remember, God supplies your needs, not Pharaoh. God. Now, Pharaoh thought he was a God, but he's also burning in hell today. And your boss probably thinks he's a God, but he'll probably burn in hell too. Your wife comes first. She is your covenant partner. You really only have two covenants in your life. God and then your wife. How this thing works. We have to teach this because we forget about it sometimes because we're Americans and we're exposed to other stuff 24-7. So let's, let's keep going here. Do not forget that husband is a verb. I learned that from my pastor, Dr. Barclay. The term husband is not just a noun, it's actually a verb. So if you're not husbanding, then you're not a husband. Just like if I don't swim, I can't call myself a swimmer. If I don't uh, shoot guns, I can't call myself a marksman. If I don't play football, I can't call myself a footballer. And some people, they call themselves a husband just because they have a ring on their finger and a certificate in a filing cabinet somewhere. That does not make you a husband. Husband is a verb. It's something you do. It's not something you are. Just like James said, I'll show you by my works I have faith. I'll show you by my lifestyle that I am a husband. Men, you must husband your wives and you will have to fight for your marriage to keep it healthy and safe. Marriage is not for the faint of heart. It will take favor with God to make your marriage strong. And I was, I was actually doing dishes last night because I do the dishes sometimes. And it doesn't bother me to do the dishes. 
And I was just meditating on marriage in Sunday school this morning. I thought, you know what? Marriage is a tremendous inconvenience, but it has never inconvenienced me. Marriage is tremendously inconvenienced, but I have never been inconvenienced by my marriage. Because if your heart loves it, it's not an inconvenience to you. I can only imagine now that we're looking at having a daughter that children will be tremendously inconvenient. But will, it, will I feel the inconvenience of it? I would say the answer is no. If you truly love what you're doing, it is not an inconvenience. And so husbands, if you're inconvenienced by your marriage, I would tell you it's because you're not in love with your wife. If you roll your eyes because you have to bounce things off of her, if you roll your eyes because you got to call her and let her know what you're doing, if you roll your eyes because you're stuck in this thing called marriage, I would tell you, you need to fix your marriage. Because it shouldn't feel like an inconvenience. You married her. You said you wanted her till death do us part. So you got to act like it. It's pretty simple stuff. We just have to be reminded of it. How about this? Because this all I have to do sometimes is when my emotions want to go weird on me or my mind wants to go squirrely, I just have to let my mind roll over and say, what would it do to me if my wife was taken from me today? And that, that shuts everything down instantly. Nope, I love my wife. She is a blessing to me. I could not go on without her. All you got to do is let your mind go there. Maybe you let your mind always go there and you're liking the idea. You need to repent. You're not right with God or your wife. You guys are liking this. This is preaching harder than I thought it would. I mean, it really is. I, I, I would thought, well, we'll just have fun with this. But no, no, this is coming out rough. I guess I'm hitting on something. New Testament job description. Let's look at some verses here. 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, you husbands. So if you're married, that's talking to you. If you're single, this is what you need to be training on. Dwell with your wife according to knowledge. Uh, one translation says intelligent recognition. That means you should actually use your intellect in understanding who and what your wife is and what she likes. That was the whole dating process. You were gaining intelligent recognition. She likes this. She doesn't like this. She says this word differently than I do. Her mama says things differently. They were raised differently. My wife, it took me four years to break her of it. Where she's from, they call a vacuum a sweeper. That's not God. She said, uh, where's the sweeper at? I said, the broom? No, the sweeper. What? (laughs) That, honey, is called a vacuum because it produces a high pressure, low pressure differential in the container and produces a vacuum and it sucks things up. Sweeping is what you do with the broom, honey. This is a sweeper. And I was like, where are you getting this stuff? So then I was around her dad. He calls it a sweeper. That's where she gets it. It goes back to the 50s when the vacuum cleaner was invented and it was called a vacuum sweeper. Some folks just cling to it. Not in these parts. We're smarter than that, you know, here in Possum Holler. It's a hose pipe here. And a buggy at the Walmart. Intelligent recognition. Giving honor or reverence. Husbands, you're to reverence and revere your wife. Giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. Fine china. I like that a lot. And as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered or cut off. That, that last part is probably the most critical part for us men, that lots of times things are falling apart in our life and we think it's everybody's fault but not ours. It says right there, if you don't treat your wife proper, if you don't revere her and love her and dwell with her with intelligent recognition, you can be praying and believing God for something and the Greek says your prayers will be cut off. That right there alone is incentive enough to get your heart right with your wife. This, this makes sense because biblically you're one flesh. 
You're one person in the eyes of God. Your soul grew together as you were dating. Then you got, had, got married and it consummated the marriage. You became one flesh and you're one spirit in Christ. You're one person. And here you are. You've got these internal warfare with your marriage partner. And you think your prayers are going to be answered. See, the, 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 the thing is, faith works by love. And your wife ought to be the easiest person on the planet to love. But you don't love her, so your faith's not working, so your prayers aren't getting answered. And you want to blame her, but it's probably you and your pride and your strife and your ego and your attitude. And you may be the reason, husband, nothing's getting done in your life. We want to blame her because she doesn't do everything that makes us not irritable. Well, it's your fault. Well, maybe God put her in your life to sand you down a little bit, polish you, smooth you out. Hallelujah is right. There's nothing like a wife to show you how carnal you still are. And that's a gift from heaven. <laughs> and yet you got to sit there and wake up with her and love it. Knowing, boy, I was wrong yesterday and I still haven't repented and don't want to repent. And I'll just grumble around like a caveman for three or four more days and grunt. Meh. And she'll come in. Hey, honey, can I fix you something? Uh, yeah, I'm going to go do yard work. <laughs> Aren't we having an awesome marriage? Then come to church. Oh, Jesus. Hallelujah. God is good. (laughs) God help you if you're in leadership and your marriage is going on like that. So let's read this verse again. Likewise, husbands, dwell with your wife according to knowledge and intelligent recognition, giving honor and reverence unto your wife as unto the weaker vessel, as if she were fine china. And as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered and cut off. Just because you live with a woman to whom you are married doesn't mean you have a successful marriage. I think we've all been there as a married couple. Just because we're married, we have to admit we're not exactly successful here. Uh, The Lord's not exactly going to call upon me to teach a marriage seminar. I think we've all can say we've been there at some point or we're having troubles. That's part of marriage. You shouldn't be, not that necessarily you should be ashamed of it because you're just working things out. When we, when we counsel with these people getting married, we say, now listen, you've been alive for 30 years and you've been alive for 30 years and we're about to combine 60 years of life and make it work. And it's not. There's things you got to work out and that's okay. I told my wife when we were first married, you know, because we're pastoring and dealing with everybody and we'd, we, I'd call them hiccups and speed bumps. She'd fall apart. I said, honey, she said, why does this not affect you? I said, this is just a speed bump. I'm not stopping my car for a speed bump. Hit it. We feel jarred. We move on. Come on. What's the big deal here? Hiccups. I have hiccups in pastoring. I have hiccups on my job at the zinc. I have a hiccup in my marriage. I'm not stopping because this is not Kilimanjaro. This is not Everest. Get back in the car. Let's go. And we fall apart. Wives fall apart. Husbands fall apart because of fear or insecurity or what have you. You just got to go on. Get this thing better. You must have a working knowledge of the marriage covenant and you must have honor for your wife. Both of these will affect how you treat your wife and they will ensure that your prayers get answered. One of the things I observe as pastor is I watch how you guys talk to your wives, how you snip at her, especially those of you that have soft, sweet wives. Now, those of you that have kind of the Jezebelian type wife, you don't do that so much because you know she's a good snipper herself. She's conditioned you. But for some of you, you have a soft, sweet wife, and I've watched you be rude to her. I've watched you be hateful to her and snide to her, make an undercutting comment. Uh, Maybe I'll start going around and, you know, giving you a wedgie or something when I see you do that, or maybe call you fathead. What's up, fathead? You know, 
trying to tone down the usage of stupid and moron in my services. So fathead and dork knob. That's a Pastor Barclayism. Dork knob. Uh, what's up, dork knob? Quit treating your wife that way. <laughs> that way your prayers won't be cut off. We all want our prayers answered. Maybe your prayers aren't working because of the way your marriage is being run by you. I, I, we've got one, one man in our, our church. He, uh, I'm not going to name who he is. doesn't matter. He said his company's had such tremendous turnover in the last eight, nine, ten years. I mean, to the tune of like, you know, 50% turnover. That means basically every couple months, half your, half your crew is leaving and a new group of people is coming in. And I said, have you ever thought to tell your boss he's the reason he has such high turnover? That's how it works. Nobody wants to work for the idiot. Oop, there I said it. Dork knob. Nobody wants to work for the dork knob or the jerk. And they question, why, why do we have such company turnover? Maybe it's the boss. Why do I have such problems in my marriage? Maybe it's the boss. Maybe it's the husband's fault. Maybe you, old man, are not as awesome as you think you are. Ask me. Don't ask your wife. She's going to tell you, I love you, honey. I, I wouldn't want to lose you. And she said, now part, she's thinking, part of you I'd like to lose. But I don't want to do without you. I'll take all of you so I don't have to do without any of you. Ask me, I'll tell you if you're a dork knob or not. Because I watch how you treat your wife or how you're not treating her. All right, let's move on here. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love or agape your wives. It's a God kind of love. Even as Christ also loved and agape the church and gave himself for it. The first thing a husband must do is love his wife. This may be a given, but are you really loving your wife with the God kind of love? not talking about emotional love, don't want to do without love, carnal, lustful love. I'm talking about agape, the God kind of love. The God kind of love gives just as Christ gave himself. Love gives. It doesn't look to take and take and take and take and take. So I threw in there the definition of love there according to Ephesians, excuse me, Corinthians 13 in the Amplified. So we'll read that real quick. Gentlemen, your love for your wife should be patient, kind. That, that really is going to hurt a lot of us men. Kind. Are you kind to your wife? Your love should not be envious. We actually deal with husbands in this church who are envious of anybody's success when it's not theirs. That is very immature. That is contrary to Bible doctrine. The Bible says when one rejoice, we all rejoice. Some husbands are actually in competition with their wife. You are a dork knob. You're goofy. You should be excited when your wife prospers. You should be excited if she makes more money than you. You should be excited if she's excelling. This is your flesh. This is your wife. Some parents are in competition with their kids because their kids are doing better than them. This is good and proper that your children do better than you. You should be proud. But when you're too proud of self, you won't be able to have pride for your children because you're insecure. This is, still goes on in Christians. You should be better than this, but it still goes on in us. Your children should go further than you ever go. And that means you are a good parent. You shouldn't get jealous just because they do better than you. Come on. I'm already praying, Lord, let my daughter go further for you. Let her change the world. Lord, let her have anything she wants. Let her have it easier than me. My wife and I pray over her that she doesn't get any of the genetic anomalies that we have. That she doesn't have to wear glasses like my wife and I do, that, that she has good teeth like me and not, not mediocre teeth like her mother. Because well, we want our children to be better than us. And yet we got some parents, some husbands, some daddies who are in competition with their children and would almost, if they could, stab their child in the back just to make sure he doesn't or she doesn't go further than them. 
you're messed up. There's no other kind way to say that. Even dogs want their pups to excel. That's why they'll fight to the death for them. Amen. So love is not envious, not jealous. Husbands, love is not boastful. It's not vainglorious, not haughty, not conceited, not arrogant, not prideful. Gosh, that's, that's everything. It's not rude. Husbands, are you rude to your wife? Love does not insist on its own rights or its own way. Now, love is looking to do something for its wife. Honey, what, what can I, let me get that for you, honey. How, how, can, can I give you a foot rub? Can I give you a back rub? I mean, honey, I, you go wash those dogs. They're barking, but then I'll give them a foot rub. But I'll take care of you, honey. Not self-seeking. Not touchy. Uh-oh, husbands. Not touchy. Not touchy. Not touchy. Not touchy. You ever snapped at your wife? <laughs> If we ask your wife, is your, is your husband quick to grumble and growl? and Don't ask. Don't ask. No. <laughs> this is Bible. We, we all have it amplified, I think. We all have access to 1 Corinthians 13. This might help you. I remember one minister, he came in and said his marriage was falling apart. This has been years ago. And the Lord told him, if you'll read 1 Corinthians 13 in the Amplified every day, it'll save your marriage. I remember that. I was probably 20 when he said that. I still remember that. In fact, this is one of the verses I give married couples to read when their marriage is going rocky. Not touchy, not fretful, not resentful. That goes back to the jealous thing. Takes no account of a suffered wrong. Do you bring up what your wife did wrong three years ago? Do you bring up what she did wrong a year ago? Come on, gentlemen. Takes no account of a suffered wrong. Does not rejoice at evil, rejoices at righteousness. It bears up under everything. That's why... um, it bears up under everything. Uh, Pat Robertson just got chewed out and nailed to the wall because on his television show, somebody asked, I'm, I'm leaving my wife because she has Alzheimer's and I just can't ha- manage it anymore. And he said, well, that's a rough uh, battle and, you know, she's basically dead anyway, so I think he's free to leave her. He just said this about a month ago. I'm like, Pat Robertson, what are you thinking, man? What about till death do his part? So she has Alzheimer's or Parkinson's, whatever it was. You take care of that woman. Where's your faith? Lay hands on that woman. Get her in every prayer service and healing service. What, we're endorsing divorce now because it's inconvenient? Because she's getting older? Man, what is, what is that 70-year-old man going to go do? Cat around, go to the church and pick up a 30-year-old? Thank you, Pat Robertson, for really goofing things up. I'm sure he repented because he caught a lot of flack. If I read about it on a secular news website... And the secular news is having to call preachers out? Because it violates this. Bears up under everything. Believes the best of every person. Has fadeless hopes. And love endures everything without weakening. That's the love that should be in your marriage. Its hopes are fadeless. And it endures everything without weakening. If you ever feel weak, uh, then that would almost seem to tell us, get more love working in you because love never fails. You get the love of God in you, you'll endure anything. Ephesians 5, 26. That he might sanctify, talking about Christ again, to sanctify, which means to make holy and cleanse, to purify or to purge it, the body of Christ, with the washing of the water of the word. So this verse is talking about Jesus, but it's in Ephesians 5, which is a big marriage uh, chapter. And he's saying, Jesus Christ, he gave himself for the church that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of the water of the word. And so in this passage in Ephesians chapter 5, it's relating how husbands are to treat their wife 
just like Christ treats the church. So if this is how Christ treats the church, then husbands, this is how we're to take care of our wife. Not only do we give ourselves for her, but we're to sanctify her and help her stay holy. And we're to cleanse her or to purify her and help her stay purged from sin. And we wash her with the washing of the water of the word. Just as Jesus protects and cleanses the church, so must a godly husband fight to keep his wife and family holy and safe. Husbands, you ought to be speaking the word of God in your home. You ought to be encouraging your wife with the word of God. When you see she gets discouraged or distracted or or cast out, honey, the word of God says this. Husbands, you ought not say, "Ah, what are we going to do? Husbands, your wife is looking to you to hear from God and know what to do. You ought to have an answer because you've been in the word and you've been in prayer more than anybody in your household. And you see her wobble or there's something, a death in the family or, you know, a bad medical report or finances are getting tight. Say, honey, God's faithful. My, my wife manages both the finances of the church and our home, and she gets nervous sometimes. I said, now, honey, I'd encourage her. At what point in the last four years of our life together has God ever failed us? Never. So write the check. We'll be fine. I don't care. It, and now our cliche, the thing we say all the time is money always comes. Money always comes for the ministry, for whatever we need in our personal life. I've got to encourage my wife because there's things she deals with that are not a big deal for me at all. I just got, in a sense, my faith got this. Not in an arrogant sense, but this doesn't move my faith. She might be weak in that area, so I encourage her with my faith. Then there's other areas I might be weak in, but she's got strong faith in. She can encourage me, but that's the godly women lessons. You, husbands, you've got to be speaking the word of God. Husbands, you've got to know Jesus better than your wife. And if you don't, you have not been a godly husband. Your wife may be called to the ministry and you're not. That doesn't change the fact you're still the one anointed to be the husband and the lead in the home. She will only be anointed in the pulpit, not at home. But if you don't love God more than your wife, you're behind and you need to get after it. If you don't know the word better than your wife, you're behind and you need to get after it. The husband is the head and he needs to act like it. Your wife should not pray more than you, husbands. Your wife should not know the Bible better than you, husbands. Now, wife, if that's you, don't back off so he can play catch up. That's dumb. Don't back off at all. Well, because that's like somebody doing 45 and you're doing 85 like you should be. Hopefully not anywhere in Tennessee because you'll go to jail or get a ticket or something. But you're doing 85 like Jesus said. And so you back off what you're supposed to do so he can play catch up and what? Lead the rest of the family at 45 miles an hour the rest of your life? No. Now, you pray that he catches up with you because husband's supposed to be the head of the home. Head, leader. Hebrew word is rosh, headship, authority. That's what you're called to be. And I would ask, why don't you want to be this? Some of you want to control everything else. <laughs> you want to lead everything else. You want to hijack everything else. Why not take, start with your family? Start with your marriage and lead that thing like Christ ordained you to. The husband must also keep his wife and family clean with the washing of the water of the word. He is ever vigilant in praying for his wife, speaking the word over her and speaking words of life and encouragement to her. He does not purposely push her buttons. If you do that, you need a good woodshed whipping. Why would you purposely exploit your wife? Are you a bully? Are you some kind of sadist that enjoys hurting the woman of your covenant? That doesn't make any sense. Ephesians, we'll look at it here in a second, goes on to say, that's your flesh. And nobody ever does that. Do you ever, when you hurt your arm, you break it, you ever just hit it just, just to hurt it? You got a bruise, you ever just push on the bruise just to hurt it? Now, my wife, when she has a bruise, I'll do that. I'll say, hey, where'd you do, how'd you do that? Ow, why would you do that? I'm a husband. It's my job to provoke and, and, and pick. 
I don't like this. I said, honey, this is me flirting with you. This is the best I can do. <laughs> or, hey, what'd you do to your foot, honey? And step on her foot. That's the same thing as pushing her buttons. That is so devilish. It's so immature. It's middle school. It's like calling the kid with the big head looks like Peyton Manning bobblehead. It's like calling uh, the chubby guy thin. You know, why would you exploit this thing? That's immature. And if you do it, because some husbands are good at it, grow up. You're immature. You're insecure. You got to grow up. This is the covenant wife. This is not a girlfriend. This is not the girl in grade school who you don't like, so you pull on her pigtails and, and throw a frog on her. This is your wife. Come on. So you're supposed to keep your home clean, too. Husbands, you're supposed to be the cleanest person in your home. That's sanctification. Keep the dirty movies out. Keep the dirty music out. Hopefully you're watching what your kids watch and you're watching what your kids listen to. Husbands, you have every right, if your wife loves to watch soap operas, to come home and say, Honey, we're not watching that smut in our home. You have every right to do that, husband. You have every right to help train your wife in the things of God. The problem is maybe you aren't trained yourself and so you, don't, you can't discern. As, uh, the old, old Testament has a term in the King James says, they couldn't tell their right hand from their left. Perhaps some adult Christian men can't tell their right hand from their left spiritually. Let me help you. Harlequin romance novels, bad. Soap operas, bad. Nasty secular music, bad. <laughs> Pornography, Let's judge that one by the spirit. Bad. Come on, get this stuff out of your home. How about gossip and slander and running down family members on the phone? Bad. Say, honey, if your wife is one to gossip on the phone talking to her sister, you know, there somewhere in Tampa or something. Honey, if I hear you gossip again, I'm going to rebuke you and you're going to call back everybody and repent to them. You have a right to do that as a husband. Of course, it means you've got to have a higher standard than your wife. Some of you, I think your wife is the higher standard. She's not going to lower it. You're going to have to raise yours. What we're trying to fix here, men, is get men back to being men and not the emasculated, panty-waisted metrosexuals our culture has slowly made us. Men are supposed to be men. So be a man. Rise up and be a man. If you haven't watched our culture lately, all the men are turning soft and they're getting manicures and they're well manicured and they've got grooming. And the guys at Starbucks, I rag all the time because they have so much product in their hair. That's gay. Literally. Not as some middle school thing we used to say 20 years ago that now we're being persecuted because we say things are gay. It is gay when you have more product in your hair than a woman does. What is your deal, man? God help you. That's why, let's go Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. I threw that one in there to kind of write on the back of uh, speaking words of encouragement. A lot of husbands, nothing comes out of their mouth but put downs and insults and, and, and neglect. And you're not good enough and you're a dumb woman. And I hope you don't grow up to look like your mama. And, and you know, you're just beating her down. Let no corrupt communication Proceed forth out of your mouth. What is corrupt communication? It's not the F word necessarily, though that is. And it's not just limited to slander or calling her a dog. It's anything that does not minister grace to the hearer. And as a husband, your job is to minister grace to your wife. Honey, you can do this. Honey, I believe in you. Honey, you're doing an awesome job. Honey, what can I help you with? Honey, I'm so glad I'm married to you. Honey, I'm glad I'm stuck with you. 
Honey, I wouldn't want to be stuck with anybody else. Honey, I'm so glad we're in this thing together. That's grace. Honey, you, you make my life easier. Honey, what would I do without you? That's ministering grace. Some of you men should write those things down. Your wife would love to hear them because they don't ever hear them. Like one hillbilly redneck said one time, I told my wife I loved her once and she knows if I change my mind, I'll let her know. (laughs) Women need to hear this stuff every day. It's how God made them. That comes back to intelligent recognition. You know how your wife works. They need to hear every day that they're pretty, they're beautiful. They need to hear every day that you love them, you need them, you want them. That they're desirable, they're helping you, they're the best thing that ever happened to you, and they're making your life easier. If you're not doing that, you need to step up your game. Don't you men like it when the boss says you're doing awesome? Hey, great job. Hey, best home you've ever, I've ever seen built. Everybody responds to positive affirmation. The Bible calls it grace. Grace speaking. So fix this in your mouth. You'll really win your wife over. She might start liking you again. And it might help your sex life, which is what some of you are concerned about. Why can't I get more sex? Well, why don't you give her more grace? Amen. It'll help your sex life. A godly husband has a, uh, a godly husband has a mouth full of life and grace and ministers life and encouragement to his wife. May your mouth be a tree of life and not a brood of vipers. You can have one or the other. Your mouth will either be a tree of life, Proverbs says so, or your mouth can be, have the venom of asps under it. Ephesians 5.29, this is going to be the most controversial verse I hit. If you're a feminist, you're not going to like this. If you're a panty-waisted man, you're going to have to come up with this level or two. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loves his wife loves himself, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh. Anybody ever just take a knife and stab it in your leg on purpose and think, wow, that was awesome. (laughs) Ever take a chainsaw and cut a toe off just, just to do it? Nobody does this stuff. Some of you men are kind of sissies when you go to the doctor and he has to give you a shot. No, please. Sissy. Nobody wants pain. Yet we inflict it on our wife. That doesn't make any sense. It shows that we don't have a revelation that our wife is our flesh. And that she's our own and we're hers. And that we're one. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it to train, to rear up, and cherisheth it, to brood over, even as the Lord the church. Now, when we read this as Americans, we read in the King James, we read nourish and cherish, and we think grandma hugging us, putting a compress on our chest when we have a headache or whatever, nourishing our puppy dog. You nourish a puppy dog. You cherish a puppy dog. Or the cheesy love songs from the 80s, cherish, cherish the love, or that's the 60s or whatever. Blah. That's not what the Greek says. Thank God for it. Now, thank God, in the English-American, we can nourish our wife and care for her and cherish her, which means just to adore in the English. But that's not what the Greek says. The Greek says to nourish means to train, to discipline, and to raise up. It's the same word in in Ephesians uh, 6 when it goes on to talk about husbands raise your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. That is what you're to do with your wife, husbands. You are to train and raise up your wife. Now, this is where the feminist doesn't like that because she's going to say, well, who is he to train me? But the feminist has been saying for 40 years, well, I got my man trained just the way I like him. And the rest of us men are just whipped and saying, yes, she does. Yes, she does. This is my nose ring. Yes, she does. But biblically, the Bible says, husband, your job is to train your wife, to develop her, to raise her up in the things of God. That comes back to being the head and the lead. If you're not the head, if you're not the lead, you won't know how to train or develop. 
Because this is the very thing that the example is, this is the very thing you do to your own flesh. You train and develop your own flesh. You train it to be a football player. You train it to be an engineer. You train it to be a mathematician. You developed it to be disciplined. You got weight control under. Uh, you, 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 you fasted. You trained and disciplined your flesh. And you know what? Now that, that passage says your wife is your flesh. Your responsibility is to train and discipline her. But, of course, that means you must be more trained and more disciplined with, than her in order to train and discipline her. Now, we're not talking about beating her down or, or being a sexist or being a jerk. We're talking about training her in the things of God. Honey, have you prayed today? Get in here. We're going to pray. We need to pray for our children. We need to pray for mama. We need to pray for pastor. Honey, I told you, you will not gossip in my house. That's, that's the word nourish. Honey, are you watching that smut again? I've told you we're not watching soap operas in this house. Do you know, husbands, you have a right to do that. Honey, let me help you. Honey, I see you're struggling with this. Let me, let's pray together. That's the word nourish. The word cherish is the Greek word to brood over like a mother hen broods over her chicks. It's the same word in the Hebrew where it says, And the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep. To brood over. And it's a sign of protection. Now, some of you have that down pretty good because nobody can talk bad to your wife like you can. Don't you dare talk bad about my wife, but I sure can. So you got part of it down, all right, which is the self, the, the defending your wife. But make sure <laughs> nobody talks bad to your wife, even you. And you certainly don't let your children talk bad to her, their mama. That's, that's a whipping. That's a mouthful of soap. And that's no food till tomorrow night. Make them fast for a day and get their heart right. Wife, your wife is your own flesh. You are one flesh. You must work to make yourself one soul with your wife. You are called to nourish and cherish your wife even as you have your own body. You have trained and developed your body. You are to help train and develop your wife in Christ. Just as you protect yourself or brood over, you are to protect and care for your wife as well. You ought to be able to watch her. If she's stressed out on the job, start praying about what we can do to make things different. If, she's, if her mama's stressing her out, you protect her from her mama. If your mama's stressing out your wife, you protect your wife from your mama. You don't take sides with mama. Mama is not covenant. Wife is covenant. If you have to, call up the mother-in-law and give her a little bit of peace of the gospel. You will not talk to my wife the way you have been talking to my wife. Mom-in-law, I love you, but you're about half devil right now. You leave your daughter alone because you're stressing her out. And I don't appreciate this. And you, you fight for your wife. And maybe you have to call your own mother and say, Mama, leave my wife alone. I don't appreciate how you stress her out or put her down with your stupid snide remarks. Dork knob remarks. Because you're insecure. And so you, I don't know, I don't know what your problem is, mother, but I don't appreciate you putting down my wife. If, if you have enough of a backbone to stand to Mama. Some grown men are still attached to the apron strings, though they're having sex with their wife. It's weird stuff. The Bible doesn't promote it. So we got to fix it. 1 Timothy 5.8, But if any provide or consider in advance not for his own, and especially those of his own household, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel, a faithless heathen. Uh, heathen. Your job as a husband is to, to provide for your own, your own wife, your own home, your own family. You are to provide love, not just money. A lot of you are good at making money, but the wife doesn't just need money, guys. She wants love, attention. This is providing for your wife. Devotion. How about uh, 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 affection? <laughs> and not just when you want sex. 
How about you just hold her hand to hold her hand? How about you just hug her just to hug her? How about you just give her a card, not because there's a string attached to it, and at the end of it, you're going to get sex. You just love her to love her sake. Natural needs, time, provide trust for your wife, etc. You are to consider in advance your family. Modern men often consider everything else but their wives in advance. Modern men, as opposed to godly men, often consider themselves and everything else first and foremost, and their wife is a distant second. According to Timothy, not, uh, not considering your wife in advance is tantamount to denying the faith and being a faithless he- heathen. I told one gentleman, I said, man, it is not right that your boss gets more of your time than your wife and I. It is not right that you serve your boss more faithfully than you serve your wife and me. That gentleman is guilty of this. He has denied the faith and he's worse than a faithless heathen. I said, why can't I depend on you like your boss can? Why can't your wife get time with you like your boss does? This is not right, man. And it's because you're too spineless to tell your boss to go shove it like old Dolly Parton sang back in the 80s. Yeah. Sometimes you just need some faith. Real quick, Genesis 2.24, Ephesians 5.31. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife. They too shall be one flesh. Some men are perpetual mama's boys. God help you. <laughs> Everything's got to go through mama. You've been married 20 years and still talking to mama. Cut the apron strings and be a man. Don't side with mama and don't go to mom and dad with all your problems. You are to be the problem solver now. Your covenant's with your wife. You are joined to her. No one else, not even the boss. The marriage covenant is under attack now more than ever. Fight for your marriage and fight to become a better husband. So that concludes our sixth lesson. Hopefully you were helped. Hopefully I didn't offend you by calling you dork knob or whatever. Love you. We'll be ready for next service.